This is the Gomaluku Podcast. My friends, what's up? Gazali Orella here. New episode of Gomaluku Podcast. We're going to cover today the expert workshop organized by the Office of High Commissioner on Human Rights, which was on the, the topic of enhanced participation of indigenous peoples representative institutions at the Human Rights Council, which is part of the, the larger enhanced participation process of indigenous peoples representative institutions at the United Nations. Um, it was a yeah, it was a four-day workshop held from November twenty-first until twenty-four, and it was it was attended by over like one hundred Indigenous peoples representatives, as well as member states. Um, the friendliest room that Indigenous peoples will be in for a while, um, in relation to the enhanced participation process. So yeah, I thought I'd yeah bring you up to speed on. What we yeah what what we what the landing zones were, um, the workshop was four days and it covered four particular topics: the venues of participation, uh, participation modalities, um, selection criteria, as well as selection mechanism, and then we also spent one a whole day on yeah the next steps and recommendations. So I thought I'd update you on. Yeah, the, the the landing zones of all of these topics, as well as the yeah the the various next steps and recommendations that indigenous peoples made and states made um, in relation to the enhanced participation process under the Human, right, Human Rights Council. Um, if you yeah if you if you've been keeping score if you, um, if you've been tracking the enhanced participation process, you know that there's there's um, it, it derives from the Alta Outcome Document, uh, Theme 2, Paragraph 10, um, which states that pursuant to yeah, the universal application of self-determinations for peoples, um, that um, indigenous peoples um, should be able to represent themselves um, yeah, at the minimum, with the, at, at a minimum minimum observer status uh, within the United Nations, uh, particularly for yeah, they're um, yeah, representative institutions, which includes traditional councils, assemblies, parliaments, etc., etc. Uh, so that is actually the, the 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 origin of this this process. It derives from Alta Alta Outcome Document, went into the World Conference Outcome Document, and now we're yeah it, we've seen or we are seeing two separate campaigns now. One is under the Human Rights Council, and the other one is under the General Assembly. Um, so let me just focus on the actual workshop itself, the topics and the landing zones, and then we'll go into the next steps and how potentially the, yeah, this, this process under Human Rights Council can connect with the, with the General Assembly process, um, given that there were some recommendations made that, that, that could um, make this possible. Um, so let me start with the venues of participation. The what, what we mean with venues of participation is is not just like well, which room is it? Um, is it room twenty uh, or room nineteen or room eighteen, where Indigenous peoples representative institutions can have unfettered access to? That's not it. Uh, when we what we mean with venues of participation is like the the different levels types of meetings actually that, that are occurring at the Human Rights Council that Indigenous peoples representative institutions can um, yeah, kind of participate in. Um, just, just for 
yeah brevity and just make to make it easier to understand um what i mean with indigenous people's representative institutions like parliaments authorities uh councils governments right so let me so you'll you'll hear me interchange representative institutions with indigenous governments um so so that yeah to, to, to make it easier for me to go through the um yeah to this through this debrief or this reflection of the NS participation um, uh, workshop. Um, so, so when we talk about venues, the right now Indigenous peoples can participate as Indigenous peoples organizations at the Expert Mechanism on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, uh, which which meets in in July for one week. But the other meetings that are happening under the Human Rights Council, uh, you would need a um, ECOSOC status. Uh, so you need to be uh, an NGO for for one, and an NGO that has consultative status with the Economic and Social Council. That is the only way that you can participate in the at the Human Rights Council, short of being a state or a national human rights institution. Um, so for for indigenous peoples, that is a problem um, because we are not NGOs. The uh, that there are indigenous peoples out there that do not. Uh, subscribe to being NGOs and they're actually government governing institutions and there are indigenous people's organizations that are just indigenous people's organizations and they're not non-governmental organizations so that's a challenge there's a first challenge that we need to need to overcome is the ability to participate in meetings that affect us like article 18 of the declaration on rights of indigenous peoples the ability uh, to the right to participate in decision-making processes that affect them now, it is going to be a big problem if uh, Indigenous peoples can only participate as Indigenous peoples in the meetings that yeah, allow them to participate as Indigenous peoples. Um, so there's, for example, at the Human Rights Council, they have in September, there's this, um, yeah, this annual dialogue on Indigenous peoples and human rights. And there, there's the meeting with the Special Rapporteur and, and, and other uh, meetings that are relevant to Indigenous peoples. Um, but still, they have to be able to be able to participate in those meetings. They have to need to have that ECOSOC status. So that um, again, and that is a problem. So this new status should actually give Indigenous peoples governments the opportunity to participate without having to apply for ECOSOC status or NGO status, but actually could be able to participate in their capacity as yeah a as a government. So when you look at that, the, the this new status, what, yeah, where where do these peoples, where can they go to? Like what, uh, which doors can will be opened with the, with this new status? And that's what, basically what we do, what we discussed in general under venues of participation. Um, and if you look at the NS participation process from the the point of view that it actually is trying to um, get as close as possible to the modalities and rights that states have, that is participatory rights that states have. So if you keep that in mind, actually, then, then you are actually already know like what the venues of participation will be or, or for, for indigenous peoples or what we will be advocating for. Um, so in the, in the expert workshop, you did see that, um, yeah, in addition to the the sessions of the expert mechanism, 
um, the, the panels and discussions and yeah, side events organized by the, um, by the Human Rights Council or during the Human Rights Council, um, yeah, we want to be able to participate in that as representative institutions. The UPR, the Universal Periodic Review, super important for, for Indigenous peoples, um, also to have the ability to participate in that without having to go through um, yeah, uh, an NGO. The special procedures, meetings of treaty bodies, uh, and, and, and just the regular sessions of the Human Rights Council. But those are like the, the meetings that, um, that are happening in primarily Room 20 or um, other rooms at, at Pele Wilson, for example. But there are also meetings that are actually important that are not uh, in those big meeting rooms. For example, the consultations the, the, on, on the resolutions. In the vast, no, not the vast, but all consultation, uh, resolution consultations, Indigenous peoples have no access to. The only resolution uh, consultation that Indigenous peoples can participate in informally are the informal consultations on the resolution um, on human rights and Indigenous peoples. And that is mainly because of the of courtesy of the co-sponsors, uh, particularly um, the, the governments of Mexico and Guatemala. So they allow indigenous peoples to participate and so that we can speak on our own behalf in these uh, conversations on the, or sorry, consultations on the, yeah, the, the details and the substance of the annual resolution, which is super important. But indigenous people should be able to participate in meetings and consultations and, and comment on resolutions that affect them. And the meetings that affect them are not just or only the, the meetings that have, happen to have the word indigenous in them. So from the indigenous point, people point of view, uh, what we said at the expert workshop was we wanted to be able to participate in, in basically everything under the sun. All the meetings that are, uh, that are happening under the Human Rights Council um, we want to be able to participate in, in, in those meetings. And it's not just the work of the Human Rights Council, but also when it comes to the Office of High Commissioner on Human Rights. They, uh, are, they yeah, are the secretariat. They, they, they provide a lot of information and meetings. For example, this expert workshop was organized by the, by the Office of High Commissioner on Human Rights. So the... The, the venues of participation, it includes everything under the sun under the Human Rights Council, both formally and informally, as well as the, yeah, uh, the meetings that are organized uh, by, the, by the Office of High Commissioner um, and information that is provided by the, by the Office of High Commissioner. So that, that, that's, that's what, we, what, we, uh, what we land upon uh, when it comes to the venues of participation. Um, it is, and if you if you're wondering like why do you call it venues of participation, it is actually something that that we yeah we, that we borrowed from the the general assembly process and which also talk about venues of participation, participation modalities and selection criteria and selection mechanism. So all right, so these are I like like the meetings that you can participate in. Like that's that's what venues of participation means. The other aspect of this new status, this new and distinct status 
for Indigenous people's governments is also like, what can they do in those meetings? So it's one thing to be able to be in those meetings. Another thing is to what to have actually some, yeah, some rights, some modalities actually that, that you can, uh, that are afforded to you or bestowed upon you um, so that you can actually participate effectively in those meetings. Just to be in those meetings on the, the venues of participation, that is meaningful participation. That you're there, you give, it gives meaning to your participation. However, from an indigenous people point of view, we're looking for effective, full and effective participation. If you want to like, keep it very um, precise, full and, full and effective, direct and meaningful participation. But you cannot look at full and meaningful participation um, and just use those words. If you only wanted to use two words, then you should be, be using full and effective participation because that is that is part of the, the declaration. Like it, 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 there's um, the words effective, full and effective participation comes into the declaration a lot more times actually than full and meaningful participation. Um, so when it comes to full and effective participation, then you, you talk you talk about participation modalities. So what it well, and so what Indian peoples um, uh, brought forward in this actual workshop, they said that, that this, this new status that has enhanced for Indian peoples representative institutions um, should definitely be rights based. And if you look, if you canvas the the, you know, the UN system and particularly the Human Rights Council, like what is actually the the status that, that you want to duplicate or make a uh, duplicate or copy paste and then make it uh, applicable to indigenous peoples. You have NGOs, that's a status. Well, that is not sufficient for us. You have national human rights institutions. Well, the problem with national human rights institutions is, is that they have to be like recognized by the country. Well, there, there is, I can tell you that there's a lot of representative institutions out there that are not recognized by the country. And then there's obviously the, the status of states. However, there are two different types of states, actually, if you look at the Human Rights Council. You have the member states, the members of the Human Rights Council, and you have observer states to the Human Rights Council. So when you look at NGO, it disqualifies itself. NHRIs, it also disqualifies itself. So you look at the states. So the, the best thing that, uh, that comes close to what Indian peoples want and can get is this observer status of, uh, oh, sorry, the status of observer states to the Human Rights Council. Because these observer states can do everything except vote on resolutions of the Human Rights Council. Same thing with, and again, as I said it before, on the venues of participation, Indigenous peoples want to be able to participate as states, as self-governing peoples in the work of the Human Rights Council. So when you look at these options, the, the modalities that are bestowed to observer states is pretty much in line with what we want and also what is achievable because uh, what states will definitely have a big problem with is if Indigenous people started to yeah, advocate for the fully-fledged 
all the rights that states have, including um, the right to vote uh, on, on resolutions. And what we do have to bear in mind, or keep in mind, that the, yeah, that the Human Rights Council or the UN itself is an intergovernmental process. And so what we said in this, in this, in this expert workshop is that we want everything, all the modalities that observer states have, uh, which includes the, the, the unable to vote in, in, on resolutions. And I think that that is um, uh, easier for, for states also to understand. So we're not creating something new or doing something extremely different. We're just saying like, hey, you have this modality for these um, observer states to the Human Rights Council. Uh, we want the same for indigenous peoples, representative institutions. So what does that include? So what this would be able to include uh, indigenous peoples' governments have to have the ability to uh, present Human Rights Council resolutions, uh, co-sponsor resolutions co-facilitate resolution um, negotiations or uh, participate as co-facilitators, um, participate in informal negotiations, obviously, like the consultations on uh, the resolution on human rights and indigenous peoples, participate in human rights council, general debates, interactive dialogues, panel discussions, and yeah, you could also even advocate for if there is a um, a session or agenda item that is particularly focused on indigenous peoples. So, for example, the uh, the September session, the half day discussion on uh, human rights and, and indigenous peoples, that you would have like inverted speakers list. So that which would mean that indigenous people speak first, and then uh, states and NHRIs, or that you would have the ability to say like we'll, we'll mix it up. You have a, a mix of a speaker's list as a mix of member states, uh, Indigenous peoples, representative institutions, and then you go to NHRIs and, and NGOs. That's also a possibility. The ability to speak for a minimum of three minutes, you know, like because time is gold to Indigenous peoples within the UN. So the ability to speak, yeah, uh, more than three minutes is 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 something that we will we would love to have. Um, the ability to submit written statements to the Human Rights Council, yeah, that's uh, or agenda, you know, uh, propose agenda items, organize side events. Like these are things that we would like to be able to do as as representative institutions. This, and these all these are this, this list is not exhaustive because, like like I said, we want to be able to do what all the other member states can do um, at the Human Rights Council, except for the right to vote. Um, and that is, this is the, uh, there's something that we, yeah, that we see that all these modalities would, uh, would be falling under this new status for these people's representative institutions so that we can like directly participate in the work of the Human Rights Council. Um, and, and I think for example, and states have been talking about, some states have, um, have talked about or suggested a incremental approach. So let let let's do let's start small and start and and do gradually increase. Well, that is a possibility, but uh, also like you don't want to have this 
incremental approach into perpetuity. You know, like it's it's um, that, um, or that you have this two steps review, two steps back. Do you do an, and then you, you repeat it like that? That could take forever for this as participation to, to really take place. Um, and I think the the incremental approach uh, conversation is is uh, is something that that possibly take place if uh, yeah if, if if we would um, be confronted with a, a with tough opposition then um, it's something that we need to discuss but not something that we should be entertaining from the get-go from the from the beginning it has been suggested so it is in our on our radar however um, it's uh, the incremental approach is not something that um, that we should be advocating for. And again, if you talk about any incremental approach, but in these people's habit participating in the work of the Human Rights Council, and and the at the for 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 decades, um, the the Human Rights Council, Commission on Human Rights, Subcommission on Human Rights. So anyway, we have proven that we can participate um, in the work constructively, uh, purposefully. Um, in, yeah, in the work of the of the, of the United Nations. So, um, which is again also an argument against the 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 need to go into like this this whole um, to start thinking in like incremental uh, steps towards enhanced participation. Um, one conversation that also uh, yeah that it came up with uh, like how many seats do Indigenous peoples get? Uh, will it like one per region? Will it be like two seats? And and and, and so there are many like, different um, yeah ideas that have been floating around. Um, and I, I what I believe is well, first and foremost, the status that needs to be created. Like that is something that we need to be focusing on. And the number of seating, uh, number of seats, um, definitely not like one per region, because that is not what this whole process is for. Um, one potential bridging proposal could be that you have this, this, you have this status is for yeah for these peoples for all these peoples that want to that want to apply for it that that can meet the criteria um, they can they can get the status and when it comes to the, to seating arrangements then yeah you have like yes yeah, so you can have seven seats right next to each other that are always available to Indigenous people's representative institutions. And yeah, like, so the, you, you consider no seats, but you know, in, in, in that sense, it's, for example, if you have like uh, three representatives from the, from, the, from the Pacific, for example, then yeah, no, you can't sit, uh, sorry, I should say that, rephrase that. Um, it is impossible for two speakers to speak at the same time. So, yeah, like so. If there's four uh, um, representative institutions from the Pacific, and I want to address this particular agenda item at the, at the Human Rights Council, then there, and and there's only one seat for the um, yeah for the Pacific, then yeah, then first it could be me. Uh, so I do do my three minute statement, and then I, I step away, and then the other Indigenous people's representative institution from the Pacific can speak for the four minutes or five. And then we can rotate in, in, in that way. So I'm not, sorry, 
I think that is a better way to um, you know, to entertain seating arrangements uh, or have that discussion about seating arrangements. Um, and I, th I don't think that there should be like a uh, um, like one per region. So like one um, one status is given to one NH people organization or representative institution in the region, or just give it to the region and then the region can figure it out because the regions. The indigenous people's regions of the world are not as organized in a way that it can facilitate that. Um, it's not there, and definitely for the Pacific, can have that. That we're, we're not there yet. We're we're very far away from being being able to do that um, in a way that is constructive and not toxic. So, and I'm speaking just from from Pacific point of view, um, and. I don't know about the other regions, but I can I can imagine that it would actually be more burdensome and cumbersome than that it actually would help uh, Indian peoples in the yeah, participation at the at the Human Rights Council. Um, so that was financial participation uh, participation modalities. If you go into selection criteria, which is yeah the the yeah the most Yeah, most contentious um, topic of of uh, of NS participation, definitely. Um, but you cannot underestimate selection mechanism. Uh, first of all, um, um, I'm talking about selection criteria and selection mechanism. However, there's a proposal that's been made that has been widely supported by indigenous peoples to call it accreditation mechanism and accreditation criteria. So I think that is um, uh, when I so when I refer to section criteria and section mechanism uh, and you read somewhere it's something about accreditation criteria and mechanism please be rest assured that it what i mean is it's, it's the exact same um and probably in, in the future uh, um, the yeah, updates post the summary report uh, when it's after it's been tabled at the human rights council then i'll, I'll probably refer to it as um, yeah, accreditation criteria, accreditation mechanism. So if you look at um, accreditation, sorry, selection criteria um, for, I can imagine or we can imagine that for a lot of states, it is super interesting to engage or start a discussion on the definition of indigenous peoples. Indigenous peoples have always said that um, Indigenous peoples will, def will define, sorry, only Indigenous peoples can identify themselves as Indigenous peoples. There, there's, there's no um, state involvement required. Um, there's a working definition, the, or also known as a Martinez-Cobo study, which includes a working definition. So that is something that we can, um, that we are okay with, that we can accept. However, a clear-cut definition of indigenous peoples, that's a no-go. Uh, we will not engage into a conversation like that, even though there are states that would, like to, would love for this hand participation to create some kind of a modality or some kind of a conversation that, yeah, would, um, that would lead towards a definition of indigenous peoples or indigenous. So that is something that we as Indian peoples need to be super careful and aware about. 
super careful of and aware, super careful about and aware of. What? Well, there, there needs to be a conversation about about definition. That that is something that you can see that there, you need to have some definition about about a conversation about definition. So, from indigenous people's point of view, if we're looking at it, uh, we'll. Um, what we have been pro- proposing to the conversation is that a, defini- a conversation about criteria or definition about Indian peoples not necessary doesn't need to happen. However, it is important though to have a clear understanding and criteria for what is a representative institution. So I think that is a very, um, very interesting debate and that should actually yeah that should actually take place so the um so that is something that that these people have been putting forward obviously when it comes to selection criteria um from these people's point of view uh, we've said yeah this should be rights-based um particularly right to self-advocation self-determination self-government um and while yeah, equality of all peoples, whilst recognizing the need for objective objective criteria, because every application needs to be able to assess based on objective criteria, so that you remove the flavor of the day, remove the um, yeah the politics from it like that. So you, if a indigenous government meets the criteria the objective criteria then the the selection mechanism in that in that sense should be able to continue the procedure to uh, yeah to for to grant the status uh, of an as participation to these yeah indigenous governments um the thing with the criteria is like they should be yeah they should be object- objective but they should also be flexible as well um and what we said is that it needs to take into account the diverse and evolving forms of Indian people's representative institutions across the regions, nations, and and so forth. Because, yeah, like you have, for example, in the global north, you have the the Sami parliaments, um, you have the, um, the 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 tribes and nations in North America. Um, however, there those are already two distinct government forms. But you can also you have to also have like other government forms of indigenous peoples throughout the world. So there needs to be some flexibility in interpreting what is a representative institution um, uh, f- when it comes to indigenous peoples into the, when it comes to their governments. Um, the everyone knows when it comes to government, it's like the 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 separation of church and state, the separation of powers. Uh, executive power, uh, legislative power, and uh, and the judicial branch, um, the 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 yeah, there's several ways of uh, or, or doctrines of of the democracy. However, Indian peoples have their own form of democracy, and they have their own forms of decision making processes that are very relevant. Um, that have Indian peoples are. Yeah, respecting, they respect the decision-making process of their, of their, of their, 
the other representative institution. So the uh, so that's what we mean with that the criteria should be flexible um, and and also take into account the evolving yeah the evolving forms of in these people's um, their governing structures and representative institutions. And it is also it's obviously it's very important that um, and that's what we said in this in at the actual workshop is that the representative institution must have a mandate from from the people that they are the yeah that they can represent their, their constituents as such as a representative institution and uh, and that mandate need should be able to be measured by the, the selection mechanism um, the the thing is 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 what we need to start yeah um, mapping or start to 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 work on or identify is like the various forms of um, yeah, validation like how how can you show or tell a, a that the representative institution actually represents in indigenous peoples um, the the most common known way that we knew is no is a plebiscite or 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 or, or, a, um, or a vote so that could be it uh, popular vote um, but there's also other ways indigenous ways to really identify like well that this representative institution represents its peoples and the peoples are um, have given a mandate to this representative institution for for it to yeah represent them in uh, internationally and nationally um so that that is that is uh, and this obviously this will be and the world knows what a government is what a parliament is what a traditional council is and what an authority is but again when it comes to indigenous people's representative institutions you need to be a little bit more flexible give a little bit more be generous in the interpretation of government interpretation of parliament or council assemblies etc etc because um yeah you can you can go through a library go to a library or talk to a professor and and he or she will explain you what what a government is but that's based on yeah the the the, the common knowledge however the world is not up to speed yet on the knowledge of indigenous peoples it's not up to speed yet on on it's not there yet to be able to fully understand indigenous people's democracies or indigenous people's governing institutions so give the yeah when it comes to setting these criteria like it needs to be very broad and flexible um in terms of in interpreting the the various government forms and obviously there, there there's there will be some states or there will be some representative institutions that said like well state recognition that needs to be a, a factor but there are also in these people's representative institutions that are not recognized by a state or do not want to rec be recognized by a state so it could be a factor however it shouldn't should not be a requirement when it comes to selection criteria so did, did so you see already the um, the criteria will play a very important role uh, w within this within this conversation 
and then there's also the 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 fact that the criteria should not should be determined in a way that it cannot be misused by entities seeking to undermine Indian people's representative institutions. That's also something that, that, that came up in the, in the conversation. These criteria, and, and then the effort workshop, was, like I said, was attended by over 100 Indian people's representatives and member states. When it comes to determining criteria, because the criteria has we've discussed it, but it will definitely be further, more deeper and more detailed discussion will, will occur once we get further down the road. Before we get to that point, it is super important that indigenous people's representative institutions um, engage in this conversation because they're the protagonists of this, pro of this process, not the, independent, or not the indigenous experts or the, um, yeah, the, the um, academics. The representative institutions, they need to be uh, in the driver's seat of, the, of, the, of this process. So when it comes to determining the criteria, one of the things that we should be looking into as Indigenous peoples is to duplicate the ALTA process, which is to go to regions and engage and, and try to map out first the Indigenous peoples and the representative institutions, get them into one room, and so, all right, what are the criteria that you can live with? Like, what are the criteria that, uh, that, we, that are universal, that um, you are okay with to be um, yeah, examined with when you, when you ascend, want, to, want to get the status? Because that is a conversation that needs to be happening with particularly or mainly with representative institutions, not just experts, academics, and, and other people. Because um, you get a whole different conversation. So this is also like a a a, a call to Indian peoples in the regions, but also the representative institutions in the regions, to start thinking about the criteria. And I guess and then the and probably the the coordinating body will will the indigenous coordinating body will will have you know organize regional consultations for yeah for. The criteria to emerge from the regions and then um, and then that be the basis for discussion which gives us a much better view of and also understanding of the the criteria that we can support and not and not support because um, yeah because it comes from the representative institution institution themselves so that's criteria then you have the mechanism um, so what is who are going to examine the application of the representative institutions that want to get to do this, that want to get this new status? So first of all, what we said was that this, this, this selection mechanism needs to be new and independent. What does that mean? It should not be attributed to, uh, for example, the existing NGO committee um, that, that, that deals with... Uh, uh, yeah, the ECOSOC status for, for NGOs. That shouldn't be it. It should also not be attributed to the permanent forum on indigenous issues or the expert mechanism on the rights of indigenous peoples. Surely they can help. Or the voluntary fund, uh, the board of the, the, the voluntary fund. Surely these three UN mandates can help. Uh, but it shouldn't, because this is super distinct. This is, this is more political than human rights. So, and, and, 
what you want is to yeah the, this selection mechanism to be totally independent uh, from existing bodies and also that this um, yeah this um, selection mechanism would have the ability to make decisions that are final because if you look at for example the the um, the NGO committee that deals with ECOSOC status for, for NGOs, they do not make decisions, they make recommendations and they make recommendations to ECOSOC. And which can then become a political football. So what we said was um, the, what we want is this, this selection mechanism to be created, so it will be new, distinct, or independent uh, selection mechanism that has the final decision-making power. Um, and the thing is, is that so who who are going to be the members? Like who going, who's going to be part of this uh, selection mechanism? So there are two options on the table. One is the ideal option. One is a feasible option. Or the other one is a feasible option. The ideal option is is you have. Because it takes indigenous peoples to recognize indigenous peoples. So you would have a selection mechanism that's, that's composed of just indigenous peoples. So that um, indigenous people would, would then, then examine objectively the, yeah, the applications of indigenous people representative institutions that want to get this new status. That's option one. Then option two, the other option, the more feasible option, some would say, is you have seven representatives of indigenous peoples and five representatives of member states. So that, yeah, so they have a composition uh, of, of two groups, indigenous peoples and member states, and, and seven and five is not just to be reflective of regions, but mainly to, to discourage states from having veto power. Because the best thing to do in this case, when it comes to selection mechanism, is to not be, uh, when, it, when they make it this final decision, that it not be um, consensus-based, but majority-based. Because if you do consensus-based, you either, um, yeah, one of the, the many uh, members of this, this selection committee can, can say like, no, it has done. Then there, there, there's, there's nothing you can do because you need consensus. So in this case, it's probably better to have like a majority, yeah, majority vote, uh, or sorry, majority based uh, selection mechanism. Um, uh, so that like if the majority votes and then whoever, yeah, if they get, the, the majority gets the, yeah, the, the status, right? Um, so that is the the uh, what 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 been what transpired in the in the in the meeting um, at the expert workshop. So, composition of seven in these people's representatives from seven. So option one, seven representatives of um, yeah in these people's from the seven social cultural regions, and the other option is is um, yeah seven representatives of in these people's from the social cultural regions. And five representatives from the uh, from the UN member state regions.
the human reason, sorry. So that is that is in 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 yeah in general the um, the second mechanism that that has been discussed, and um, the final day we started to talk about like what are the next steps, and what is uh, yeah what is um, what are the recommendations that go will go into the summary report because we did this four day workshop. Output will be summary report with next steps and recommendations will be which will be tabled at the at the Human Rights Council in 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 June most likely. It was very clear that from the indigenous people's point of view that a um, that when it comes to the and its participation process under the Human Rights Council itself is that um, it should not be a, a series of standalone meetings, um, that the enhanced participation process should be a robust process that includes um, yeah, consultations and, and recommendations um, that builds up to something and not just have like one-off meetings uh, from yeah, the whole time. So the that was part of the, so when we went into the conversation with recommendations, um, and these people made up, yeah, like proposing very clear steps, very detailed actually, uh, which is good because that, that's something that we give member states and ourselves something to work with. So first of all, um, in terms of the Human Rights Council process, so the first step would be for the Human Rights Council to allow Indian people's representative institutions to participate in conversations or meetings uh, on enhanced participation without ha needing to have the ECOSOC status. So that's, a, that's the first step, right? so that we don't have to, yeah, again, have to bend over backwards or these representative institutions to be able to participate in consultations, um, yeah, without, with, yeah, trying to get a, and Indigenous people's NGO to co-sponsor or to sponsor them a badge so that they could participate, uh, which is actually defeats the purpose of NS participation, right? Then the second step, um, which which is to uh, for the Human Rights Council to consider in September 2023 a parallel resolution on NS participation, so um, so that it's not included in the uh, so so it won't be part of the annual resolution um, on Indigenous Peoples and Human Rights. So you gotta create a parallel resolution and then you immediately immediately start substantial consultation on the four topics that we discussed um, at the workshop. Again, venues of, venues of participation, participation modalities, um, uh, selection criteria and selection mechanism. So that is September 2023. So then you would what you would need is for the president of human rights council to appoint co-facilitators one nominated by member states and one nominated by yeah indigenous peoples to conduct on his behalf the, yeah these consultations with member states and representative institutions on the measures necessary procedural uh, institutional steps criteria to enable to participation of indigenous peoples representative institutions um, in the human rights council on issues affecting them 
So that will be likely throughout 2023, September 2020, September 2020, sorry, September 2023 onwards um, towards September 2024. And then the then a human rights council will conclude its consultations by September 2024 uh, and finalize recommendations for the on the four topics um, and uh, for this new participatory status of Indigenous peoples. Uh, representative institutions. Now, like I said, um, how does this process at the Human Rights Council, how, it how does it link to the General Assembly process? Um, one of the things that was proposed in, at the um, at the expert workshop as well was, because there's in the third community resolution this year, a preamble paragraph was included that was um, in relation to a review conference of the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples that was held in 2014. Because this process derives from the World Conference process, so in some way you could um, yeah, connect it or link it to this World Conference uh, review process. So one of the recommendations that has been tabled on, uh, yeah, uh, during the actual workshop was for the Human Rights Council to in initiate a consultation process on its NS participation and um, has participation process um, with the aim to finalize and adopt it um, in the margins of the celebration and the follow-up of the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples, um, yeah, or also known as World Conference Plus 10. And and this would enable a follow-up to the to the implementation of the outcome document of the yeah of the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples, which was held in 2014. So it would give this enhanced participation process a clear milestone of something that that we can work towards. So this enhanced participation process would not be a 30-year process, but it actually would be a um, uh, process until 2024, maybe until 2020, September 2025. Um, and that is something interesting to see that happen. So the two things to be linked um, to each other. So we have what, so what we have is like clear steps in terms of the, the, the from this point onwards until September 2024, and also like the, the link bet between the Human Rights Council process as well as the, the General Assembly process um, in relation to the World Conference Plus 10. And then there's also like that recommendation that any individuals made to states, because uh, there, there are several recommendations that, that, that um, are, and, and, and I think they, they all derive from the Quito outcome document. So, for example, that states should include any of these peoples in their delegations during the consultations. Um, ensure that all consultations and negotiations are open and inclusive and that they can be participated or any of these people can participate uh, in those meetings at all stages, at every stage. To collaborate with any of these peoples for, to host or organize uh, regional consultations. Engage in bilaterals with states and any of these peoples to find common ground. Um, support 
our inclusion of Indigenous peoples in, in consultation negotiations, um, hold uh, informal, uh, a series of informal but high-level meetings with states on Indigenous peoples and its participation, and to see common positions uh, in, on the ways and means to achieve and participation for Indigenous peoples in the United Nations. And there was also a recommendation made to, for states to continue supporting um, financially, particularly, the, the work of the Indigenous coordinating body so that uh, the enhanced participation process could uh, advance in the way that uh, Indigenous peoples wanted to because um, it was already been voiced by, by several member states and experts that this is an Indigenous process. This process is for Indigenous peoples. So. Um, so you, this is pretty much the, the, the overview of the enhanced participation process, or sorry, not enhanced participation process, the, the expert workshop um, of the Office of High Commissioner on Human Rights. And uh, we're looking forward to... Um, So this is like the overview of the yeah of the NS participation sorry not the NS participation the expert workshop on uh, NS participation and um, yeah we're looking forward to the the summary report to be tabled in um, yeah in June and um, and the next steps uh, from the um, in relation to the bestowing Indigenous peoples representative institutions the consultative and participatory status um, that is justified and is in line with the right to self-determination. So I hope, um, yeah, this is, um, this was helpful to you and, um, um, yeah. Well, friends, that's the end of the episode, but there's more, um, way more. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast um, on your favorite podcast and platform, of course. And by the way, there are more nuggets of wisdom on YouTube. So check out my name, Ghazali Oharela, on YouTube. Subscribe and watch your favorite movie. Movie. I don't make movies. Videos. Videos. Um, sorry about that. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening. And bye-bye.